Let's turn to God's Word together. We're um, continue, continuing our study into the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and uh, we're picking it up in verse 21, John 15, uh, verse 21, and this is God's Word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, did I say John? Matthew. 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 No! Dang it. Matthew. That hit me right in the middle of it, didn't it? Should I I start again? Let me start again. Hey, in reverence of God's word, let's start again. This is Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Matthew. 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 I've been in the Gospel of John so long, like 80 times, so, so I, sorry. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was growing up, I heard hundreds of times at at home and school over many years, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Is it names will or can? Words? Oh, names. Words? It's another one of my mother's things. She's got all the things are wrong. Like, this little piggy went to the market. That's how my mother. Um, this little piggy stayed home. This little, little piggy had what? For dinner. <laughs> like, everything I, all, all those things I learned from my mother are wrong. Uh, so, so what I, what I heard well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me. You said words? Is it words? Okay. Well, you get the idea. <laughs> it must be. Uh, maybe so. Well, you know, that was the answer back then for bullying. If you got bullied, you could at least tell yourself, well, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but uh, what you say can't hurt me. Um, the problem is, the first part of that is true. Uh, sticks and stones can indeed break your bones, but can words hurt you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you can tell yourself, words won't hurt me, but words can hurt you. And I've got an illustration of that. You know, names and derogatory language and verbal abuse and those kinds of things, belittling language, 
uh, racial uh, 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 looking down on someone, those things can hurt people uh, a, a lot. And um, so I don't think I ever told you this, but I, my wife's heard the story many a times, but when I was in uh, sixth grade, I had graduated sixth grade, I was on my way to seventh grade, there was this big community pool, River Trails Park District up where I lived, and there was a big giant sled hill in the winter, and there was this big pool, and the pool was awesome. And they played the Doobie Brothers really loud over the loudspeakers and the Eagles, and it was just this cool era. And uh, I'm in sixth grade, and I'm soaking up the sun. I'm just enjoying the sun. I'm in the pool. About The water's about this high. I'm getting all this sun, you know, so I can have things cut off my uh, face and body years later. Um, and this little girl swims up, about my age, like a shark, and she pops up out of the water about th three feet from me. I'd never seen her before in my life. She pops up out of the water. She goes, you're ugly. <laughs> and she submerges and swims away. And I never saw her again. No, I'm just kidding. I married her. But um, no, I'm kidding. But I <laughs> no, I never saw her again. And listen, I'm not scarred by that. But that is one of the most vivid memories of my childhood. I will never forget that, that the un unsolicited boot commentary and then gone, negative commentary. Anyway, all to say bullying and shaming uh, and all that stuff are heavily in the news and have been for years. Um, everyone's got to be careful uh, with their words and with their mannerisms and closeness and proximity. And I mean, everything's got to be politically correct. And we've got to watch innu innuendo and humor and, and all of our humor has to have a wink. You know, there's got to be a smiley face next to it. You can't just say something uh, dry anymore. You've got to have a eh, so everybody's in on the joke. Um, and there, there's even an interest in, in legislating those things uh, so that our behaviors and words are, are more controlled. It's basically, uh, you know, the, the purelling of everything. Um, now listen, should we work to um, uh, improve our culture? Yes. Should we work to improve uh, relations um, racially and otherwise? Of course. I mean, we should treat one another with respect and, and dignity. Those are biblical ideas. They're deeply Christian ideas. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, husbands and wives can't even get along. And brothers and sisters can't even get along. And uh, children and parents can't even get along. I mean, at the most essential, at the core relationships, we can't even pull it together. So don't think we're on the cusp of fixing all of society by our, our legislation of behaviors. We can't even do it in the confines of our own homes. Now, my point is this. It's not a social problem. It's a sin problem. And so it was in Jesus' day. The reason I say all that is this. Um, if you look at your Bibles, I have an ESV in front of me, and the publisher puts in these notes um, that... Uh, in, in, in kind of fat, uh, bold letters above passages. And what I have in front of verse 21 is this, the faith of a Canaanite woman. Does anybody have that? Something about a Canaanite woman, a faith of a Canaanite woman. Of course, that gets it right from uh, verse 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Well, it, it's easy to read this stuff from afar 2,000 years later, and we carelessly zip by it, and we go, oh, a Canaanite woman, isn't that sweet? She's from Canaan, like, you know, like she was from Union City or somewhere, you know? Um, but a but <laughs> little reference for the Carmens. Um, but, but, but think of a people, uh, think of a people that hate another people group. Can you think of one in our current day of a people who hate a people group? They're all over the world. Um, well, it doesn't get worse than a Canaanite. <laughs> I mean, Canaanites were loathed by the Jews, loathed by them. Um, Canaanites were Gentiles. 
They were out of fellowship with Yahweh. They were resistant to Yahweh. The Canaanites were the ones who were in the land that Joshua and the crew was to drive out and eradicate and take, and they didn't do a very good job of it. The Canaanites were the pagan idol worshipers. The Canaanites were the ancient enemies of the Jews. Ancient, hundreds, thousands of years, ancient enemies of the Jews, tribal enemies. And so this story that we see here today is the Savior who is acting very deliberately. Uh, he's, he's acting um, uh, redemptively toward people. And uh, th- this, th- when you see the word Canaanite, that is no small little tidbit uh, about, uh, about this person that we, that we pass over. Um, it, is, uh, it is critical to our understanding. So what's my main idea? Once again, a wrong, wrong verse reference. I'm so sorry. It should be Matthew. Um, but the point is this. No person is beyond God's grace. That's a very simple point, isn't it? No person is beyond God's grace. You know, for some people, especially Christians, that could become a very common thought, a familiar thought. We go, oh, yeah, grace, uh, that's great. And, you know, um, we we just kind of fly by it, and it's just very familiar to us. But uh, for others, you may be looking at that and going, wow, no person is beyond God's grace. Maybe Maybe that is lasering into your heart. Maybe you're not sure about this Savior and who he is and this Christianity. Maybe you've just hung around. Christians in church for a while, and you don't know this reality. Or maybe you're a Christian who's sitting there going, you know what? That no person is beyond God's grace as a believer who is already uh, in Christ, that still is deeply significant, is it not? You're not beyond God's grace. Um, and, and anybody, um, no one's out of God's reach. Um, so um, let's go to our first point. Our first point is the intentionality of Jesus. It says in verse 21 that Jesus went away from there uh, and withdrew to the district of of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus went away from there. Where's the there? Well, the there, we can find it at the end of uh, chapter uh, 14 of Matthew, um, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to to land at Gennesaret. Gennesaret is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, Gennesaret. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's Kinnereth or Chinnereth. But Gennesaret, Kinnereth, Chinnereth, Galilee, all the same place. Sea of Galilee, land of the Gal- Galilee, Galilee. And they've left there. Um, and, um, they, and, and Jesus has gone. He's withdrawn from there. And he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you look at a map of, uh, if you look at a map of Jerusalem, here's the uh, Sea of Galilee, here's the Jordan, here's the Dead Sea. Here it is. Up here along the coast about 25 miles this way is Tyre, and about 25 more miles up this way is Sidon. Now listen, um, if you've hiked, 50 miles isn't that long. I mean, you could pop out 9 or even 13 miles in a day if you're booking it, but this is very hilly, hilly terrain. Um, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot, if you look at it on a relief map, you're like, ooh, that looks like a long, that looks like a long journey. It might have taken days, it might have taken weeks. Uh, we don't know how long it was, but my point in mentioning all that is this. It was no small effort on Jesus' part to go to Tyre and Sidon. It's not like he was like, oh, well, it's right over the hill there. Let's just pop on in. It was, a, it was tough to get there. It was a journey, a hilly, uh, uh, mountainous uh, uh, way to get there. Um, the other interesting thing is this that's significant, is that he left Galilee, and uh, for the first time, he entered into, he ventured into 
uh, Gentile lands. This, that's the only time Jesus left Israelite territory. This is the only time. He, he, he leaves and he goes and he enters Gentile lands. And that's very important for us to remember because when we read the story uh, and we see his strange actions with this woman and with the disciples too, it could be, it could be misunderstood. We see the way Jesus talks to this woman. And uh, ba- you know, basically, this woman comes to him for help. She's, she's grieved over her, her daughter who's in, in torment. And uh, Jesus basically calls her a dog. Now, see how that flies in today's culture. That's very weird, isn't it? If we do not <coughs> miss the fact that Jesus has left Israelite territory and has purposely went, purposely gone uh, to, uh, to Gentile territory, we don't, we don't get this passage and we don't understand what this lady's saying <coughs> and we don't understand why Jesus is impressed with her faith uh, like he is. And so... Um, his words might seem a little harsh, a little politically incorrect and all that, but remember, the, the gospel writer, John, is stepping on the gas pedal, and uh, he wants us to see um, what Jesus is trying to accomplish here. So look at verse 22. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region, so she's Canaanite, <coughs> so there's no confusion, from that region. So Jesus is in her region. She's Canaanite. She's from that region. And um, I think that uh, Jesus, uh, having ventured with he di- like he did to Tyre and Sidon into Gentile territory, I think he was probably thinking, I mean, it does say that he withdrew in verse 21. <coughs> he often withdrew from the crowds to be with his disciples, to train them up, which is also important here. But uh, I think that when Jesus went into Gentile territory, he was probably thinking, huh, I might run into some Gentiles. There may be some interactions with some Gentiles in Gentile territory where there are no Jews but me. Um, so, and by the way, in the New Testament, this is the only place you'll find the word Canaanite in the New Testament, the only place. And it is the Savior himself who ventures into that region um, and runs into this woman. All right, so application to our first point, uh, the intentionality of this Jesus. As I said, it's important because if we miss the significance and the sense of what Jesus is doing with this woman, we miss the point of the passage. We miss the point that his words to her, um, even though he's calling her a dog, we go, ooh, I don't like the way that sounds. Ooh, this, Jesus, did he sin? Was he, was he being pernicious? Um, was he being, what, what, what's happening here? We, he's being loving. You miss that if you don't see his intentionality. Uh, again, the big point, no person is beyond God's grace. And uh, you don't have to turn because I've, I'm already here, but um, I've turned to this many, 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 many times in your presence and, and over the years. But I mean, it's a, it's a key passage in the Bible. If you don't know Genesis 12, um, pin it down in your mind because it is when God calls Abram, a pagan from the land of Ur the Chaldees. And he says, I'm going to call you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you... All of the families, all of the peoples, the people groups of the earth will be blessed. That has been foundational in the gospel from the very start, that God was going to bring about a people that were named his people, and from that special people would come an eternal king who would be the savior figure 
and all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. That's the, that is the foundation of the gospel right there. Now, a Canaanite was despised in Jesus' day. You know who else was uh, devalued? Women were devalued. Um, women were thought of um, as, uh, as lesser. It was a culture that devalued women. And so you look at verse 2, and it says, John the Gospel writer, wanting, to, wanna, wanting to, uh, us to grab, he goes, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region, double whammy. And what does Jesus do? He helps her, and he loves her. And I know you're going, yeah, but he called her a dog. Wait. <laughs> Wait till we get our next couple points. What I'm saying to you is a Canaanite was despised, um, and, uh, and John wants us to see, you know, his original readers would be going, Canaanite, a woman, wow. And Jesus is dealing with her in such a gracious way. It's amazing. Let's continue to explore. All right, our second point, a woman of great faith. So in verse 2, it says that, uh, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. And we see that word crying. It's not that, it's not that she was, oh, it's not crying like that. She was crying out. In fact, it says it again, uh, the disciples, uh, they say at the end of verse 23, send her away for she is crying out after us. Crying out, that's a good way to put it. When, she says, when it says that she was crying and crying out, the, the tense of that means that it's a continued action. So she's keep doing it. Um, um, oh, Lord, son of David, oh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, son of David, oh, Lord, son of David, my daughter, is a oh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And she's bugging them. She's pestering them. She's following them around and pestering them. And uh, she says, have mercy on me. Well, let, let's, there's, there's a lot to learn from this woman uh, and the way she approaches uh, Jesus. So let's learn from her. The thing she says is, have mercy on me. Now, you know what it is to throw yourself on the mercy of the court? Uh, that means uh, that you, you go to the court and you say, it was me, I did it, I killed a guy in Reno, and uh, I'm just going to throw myself on the mercy of the court. Um, whatever you give me, I, I, I just, I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. Well, if you're going to throw yourself on the mercy of the court, you, guess what you don't bring with you? You don't bring... Demands. You don't bring attitudes. Uh, you don't bring a sense of rights and privileges. I want my rights and my privileges. Oh, I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. You throw yourself on the mercy of the court, you're saying, look, I got nothing. Uh, I'm just asking you to be kind to me, uh, to be lenient with me, not that I deserve it. You don't bring a sense of being wronged with you when you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Mercy, by its very nature, pities the thing in need. And it's only when you're in dire need and, and you're void of self-sufficiency that uh, you experience help that comes uh, from outside of you that's not on your terms, that you understand it to be mercy, all right? So we can learn that from her. We learn a posture of heart. Uh, she comes um, not declaring anything of her own, but she just says, have mercy on me. It's the first thing out of her mouth. Have mercy on me, all right? She continues, have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, now, you probably know that Lord can have several meanings. It can simply mean sir or a person of uh, deserving of respect. It can be Lord like you're my boss, uh, or it can be uh, Lord, something of uh, a, uh, a God who governs uh, sovereignly. Um, but, and, and, but at least it shows the posture of her heart here. 
she comes to him with a sense of reverence. She claims, she, she begs for mercy, and she comes with a sense of reverence for who this Jesus is. And then she says, son of David. Now, that's a very interesting thing for a Canaanite woman to say. You know, it's only in the next chapter that Peter will confess Jesus is the Christ. That will be amazing too. Here you have a Canaanite woman saying, um, O Lord, son of David. Now, she probably knew something of, uh, of the, the, the Israelite God and the, the people of that faith. Um, but, and, and who knows how much she knew, but he, he was the Messiah that she at least had some idea that could, he could help her. So whether she truly understood the theological ramifications of what she was saying about the son of David, she probably didn't know the Old Testament very well. Um, but she at least thought this important guy um, with probably some kind of prophetic divine underpinnings can help me. So at least, she had, at least she believed that Jesus could help her. Oh, have mercy on me, O oh Lord, son of David. All right. Um, she continues, my daughter is severely oppressed um, by a demon. Now, forget the demon part for a second. If you remember last week when we were back in the Gospel of John, I told you I'm a cessationist, um, and, uh, which is an orthodox position, which is to say that there is an apostolic age um, where the Bible is being um, uh, written truly by the apostles, and it's being recognized as God's word, and they've got the Old Testament, and as it comes together, and as Jesus fulfills all the offices uh, for, uh, to which um, the Old Testament pointed, um, there's no need for um, um, th those kinds of miraculous healings, and, and that, that, you know, Jesus was on earth to defeat Satan, and so there was all this spiritual activity going on, and this was part of that, okay? So don't get bogged down in the demon part. It was a sad thing. Uh, her, her daughter was oppressed. Um, and uh, possessed by a demon. But, but the thing that we're supposed to see here is this, that her request of Jesus wasn't some, uh, you know, debate. You know how, like, uh, the annoying Christian roommate wants to debate his, uh, uh, all night long uh, to no end? They just, I like debating. I'm going to debate with you for the sake of debating. She's not debating Jesus. It's her daughter. Her heart is broken for her daughter. It's this heartbreaking situation. And so she comes to Jesus. It's not theological sparring. She comes to Jesus hoping that he'll respond um, and believing that he can help her. So he is the object of her faith, and she shows that her faith runs deep in that way. Application for your life. Faith. It is not clouds and feelings and suds. That is not to say that... <clears throat> Closeness to God isn't joyful and mysterious and profoundly wonderful and sometimes quiet and sometimes bombastic. And uh, It's not to say that you can't have treasured and meaningful and even emotional moments with God, not at all. But it is to say that faith is not clouds and feelings and suds. Her response to Jesus, her, her interchange, with, interchange with Jesus, she's basically saying this, I believe that you can help me. And I even believe that you might have come to help me. What's this Jew doing up in Gentile territory? Have mercy on me, son of David. Look at verse 28. 
Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. We'll talk about that on the next point, but what does Jesus see in her? He sees a humble heart. He sees a needy soul that knows it's needy. And he sees someone who believes that Jesus was on a saving mission. She's crying out, crying out, crying out, crying out, crying out. That, that's a good gospel message, my friends, that you, you come to this Christ and you don't maybe understand everything about the Savior and, and this, this Bible is this strange, you know, supernatural document and, and there's lots of things in here that are hard to understand and lots of things that are easy to understand. But, um, but you go, you know, um, it seems like the God of this book sent a Savior to this world, you know, to come into this hostile territory and uh, I think that he can help me, and then he might have come actually to help me. That is the gospel, friend, that Jesus broke into this world to save sinners like you and me. He can help you. He came to help you. And if you cry out, and if you come with a humble heart, and you place Jesus as the object of your faith and what he did for you on the cross, mercy is yours. <laughs> All right, our last point. A Savior of great mercy, uh, 23 and following. So she says this to Jesus, and um, um, she adds my, um, uh, uh, where is it? My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And the next thing we read is it says, but Jesus did not answer her a word. Now we look at that and we go, wow, what odd behavior. I mean, she's pouring herself out, and Jesus doesn't answer her a word. Um, what he ends up doing is he goes on, and, and uh, he says, I was sent. Uh, oh, yeah, and by the way, the disciples go, yeah, yeah, she's bugging us, Jesus. Um, they were probably saying, uh, go ahead and help her, uh, heal, whatever, just to get rid of her. You know, I mean, that's what Jesus is doing, and they've seen him do it a bunch of times to a bunch of people. Go ahead and help her uh, so we can get rid of her because she's following us around and pestering us. And uh, he answers his disciples, okay? So he's talking to them. I mean, he's, he, speak, he says strange things to her, but he says strange things to his disciples too. He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, isn't that weird? They're in Gentile territory. And the disciples are like, hey, I'll go ahead and heal her, Jesus, because you know you heal a lot of people and heal her. And he says, I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, what's he doing? Um, something, some people think that uh, Jesus was being, uh, you know, uh, mean. And uh, some people even go, well, I wonder if Jesus sinned here. You know, I, he's not supposed to be a sinner, but maybe that's just a little bit of a sin because he kind of, you know, lost his way a little bit and lost control of himself a little bit. Um, not at all. Um, some people say that Jesus was testing the, uh, 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 her faith. Uh, listen to this. It's so interesting. Um, she, she comes and kneels before Jesus, and she says, Lord, help me. Verse 26, he answers, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Isn't that something? So he says this weird thing to the disciples. He says this weird thing to her. What's he doing? Well, some people go, yeah, well, he's trying to test the woman's faith, or he was trying to strengthen her faith, and maybe those things are true. But in the context of all this, what he's really doing is, you know, he's headlong for the cross, and he's training the disciples. And, uh, you know, the disciples have said this thing, and he answers them. And she says this thing, and he answers her. The disciples are, 
our, our, our onlookers, and I think he wanted them and he wants us to see uh, the nature of the grace of God. He answers, is that right to uh, take the children's bread? That's, that's what, what is uh, privy to the Israelites and throw it to the dogs. She says in verse 27, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. By the way, dogs here are not like uh, icky, icky, mean, uh, wild street dogs, but house dogs, the word dogs here, all right? Uh, you know, I was on a mission trip in, in Cuba years ago. Anybody ever seen a rabid dog right in front of them? In Cuba, we were checking into the nice hotel. We were together. We were checking into the, ni the nice hotel, the, the first trip. And uh, there was sewage running down. They were like, well, watch your step. Don't step in the puddle because <laughs> it's sewage. We're like, oh, okay, good, stinky sewage. And we stepped over it. And across the street, really, from here to Walt, there was a rabid dog going, <laughs> just, I mean, foam was just, <laughs> it was wild-eyed. And, you know, that's not what this, Jesus isn't saying you're a rabid, wild-eyed street dog. He's saying you're a house dog. And, uh, you know, we don't take our good filet mignon and throw it on the floor and give it to the dog. We don't take our bread and we throw it to the dog. We give it to our children. We don't just give it to the dog. And she goes, yeah, I understand that. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus says, oh, woman, <laughs> great is your faith. Because he understands that she gets that she doesn't deserve, but that this guy, this figure, this divine prophetic fellow um, is uh, full of grace and mercy. All right, I close with this. Oh, by the way, her daughter is healed. I close with this. Um, I, uh, I write a lot, of, I arrange a lot of music here at this church, and I write some songs, and you sing some songs that you don't even know that uh, came from my head at some point, um, all written in the shower. <laughs> and um, and uh, so I have some pseudonyms, and I've used pseudonyms over the years. Uh, pseudonyms are like a fake name, like, you know, like Cary Grant, you know, Cary Grant's real name was Archie Leach. Did you know that? The famous, you know, George Clooney of the 1950s. Cary Grant, they're like, Cary Grant's not going to work. I mean, Cary Grant, Archie Leach isn't going to work, so they changed it to Cary Grant. Anyway, I have a lot of pseudonyms, and, but, but one of my favorite pseudonyms, I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I will tell you one of them. I have, I have a pseudonym that I love, that it's my favorite pseudonym, it's my, my best working pseudonym, Manson Bundy. And uh, I love that one, Manson Bundy, because you got two horrible mass murderers in one guy. And uh, that might seem kind of crazy, and it's no knock to our elder uh, uh, Greg Bundy or his dear family, the Bundys, um, <laughs> or the TV show from <laughs> years ago. But, uh, but Manson Bundy is like, Manson Bundy, wow, both horrible. I mean, ooh, Manson Bundy. Um, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek that I would pick that. Um, but you know, folks, if you would look at, I mean, I don't even tell, I, I was on Wikipedia looking up Ted Bundy. I don't suggest you do it. I'm serious. It's horrible. It's horrible. What he did was just horrible. Ghastly. Ghastly. It's just like you, you, you need to take a shower after you read it and you don't want it in your mind. I don't look it up. It's awful. And, but, you know, I think, I think um, you look at, like, you could say that those are like the, the worst case scenarios of humanity. Manson. Bundy. Is God's grace sufficient? Yeah, even for them. Now, they didn't come to believe. But what I'm saying is this. 
no person is beyond God's grace. No one. Doesn't matter if you're an outcast. Doesn't matter if you're Canaanite. Doesn't matter if you're a woman. Doesn't matter if you're not on the, on the, the regular ministry path. Uh, no person is beyond God's grace. And this Savior goes out of his way to show us here in this passage. It's a, it's a snapshot of what he did in salvation. He breaks through into this world, into this realm, and he lives a perfect life and then lays it down that we might be brought into saving grace. That is God's mercy, his pity upon sin in saving action. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Christ, thank you for um, being uh, the intermediary, the facilitator, the, the one who accomplishes the great work of salvation in, in perfect concert with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we thank you, O triune God, for saving sinners and, to, and for loving us uh, and for showing us this great mystery about uh, what you're like, that you're a God of grace and mercy. Uh, we don't deserve it. We bring nothing. We claim no rights and privileges. We do not cling to any good works we have accomplished. We understand that if you were to take your uh, restraining hand off us, we would be as bad as Manson and Bundy. And yet you saw fit to save us. No one is beyond your reach, O oh God. And I pray that, that you, would, you would just drill that into the hearts of these uh, treasured ones today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.